This week, we get into the concept of straight talking, saying what you mean, not leaving anything out, being direct, but also doing it with compassionate honesty with my guest, Suzanne Waldron. Susan is a senior leader, human change facilitator, and a conference speaker, amongst many, many other things. Susan shares how she transformed some of her personal experiences and her concern of being misunderstood and flipped that into the focus of her passion and work that's centered on connecting senior leaders and leadership groups with their capacity to talk honestly and openly in direct yet compassionate manners. This is a really engaging and fascinating conversation that gets real deep and goes in lots of different spaces. Um, I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. What becomes abundantly clear, however, is the overall imperative that we all take responsibility to develop our straight talk skills, to stop wasting time and live life to the fullest. So enjoy, Susan. Hello and welcome back to WA Real. I'm your host, Bryn Edwards. How often do you actually tell it like it is? How often do you tell it straight? And how often do you take the easy path, the path of least resistance, and keep that truth to yourself? That's what we're going to dive into today with my guest, Susan Waldron. Originally born in England, Susan moved to WA in 1999. Susan has spent 20 years as a senior leader, human change facilitator, conference speaker and advisor. Her special source is her vast understanding for the humanistic elements of the business world, and in that, straight talk as the new EQ that separates the good from the great. Susan has also written two books, A Flourishing Mind, exploring her personal story of of adversity as a foster child and homeless teenager, and her second book, Say What You Mean, as a guide for better working relationships in senior leadership teams through the art of straight talk. In addition to all of this, she has a wealth of achievements and accolades, including Ambassador and Chair for Are You OK, Director and Co-Founder of Stories Out Loud, and nominated for Western Australian of the Year 2016, as well as nominated for 40 Under 40 in 2016 and 17. Susan, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. So, one of the questions I always ask my guests at the start, because it's called WA Real, is... How did you end up in Western Australia? Ooh, well, um, my then boyfriend at the time um, was asked to come over to uh, Melbourne. Yep. And he um, asked me to go with him. I was all of 17. And then about three years into Melbourne, um, we decided, oh my, we did not come all this way to just live in Melbourne. So I closed my eyes and pointed on a map. And I, <laughs> I landed in Kalgoorlie. All right. And he was wise enough to just move my finger to Perth. <laughs> right. So what was it about, we haven't come all this way to live in Melbourne? What does Perth have that Melbourne didn't, that made you think? Or what did Melbourne not have? Hmm. Well, we didn't know we were coming to Perth because I literally did no, yeah. eyes closed on the map. Yeah. Um, it's not that Melbourne didn't have anything. It was more around that, you know, we were, we were young and were settling and we wanted to keep going, keep mm. moving, keep travelling. So I would have only been 20 at the time. Right. And so we wanted to just move and keep going. Mm. And then you stayed here? Yeah. And this, is this home now? This is very much home. I am very connected to the land, um, very connected to WA, and it means actually a great deal to me. What, in what way? Um, for quite a long time, I probably dismissed WA, thinking it was vast and boring. Mm. I think a lot of people do or did um, <coughs> and I suppose I like undulation I like variety um, and the land in my view at that time didn't really give that you know you drive hours and hours and hours and you get somewhere and you see something for like three minutes and go right well I've seen that now and I didn't really appreciate all of the ecosystems and the micro moments that can happen in such vast land like the bit in between yeah and well, that's if that's not a moment for saying it's you know, enjoy the journey, not just to the destination. And then as time went on, um, I also became very connected to our indigenous culture, and okay. really started to appreciate and understand like how unique our landscape is, as well as the beauty of sixty-five thousand years worth of wisdom mm. that comes from the oldest living culture in the world. So I'm curious what. What are some of the key bits of wisdom that you've taken out of your learnings? Yeah. Um, so when I think about indigenous culture and um, 
all the people that I work with who are Indigenous. What I love is that their entire existence um, has always been of a, a peaceful nature. And when I think about the little that I know, think about the customs and the traditions that are very self-resourceful. And so there's a lot of um, customs and ways of being, not only spiritually, emotionally and physically, uh, that lends itself to them being around for the longest culture in the world and peacefully. They didn't fight anybody. Um, you know, they, they lived and resourced for themselves in a way that was really quite magnificent and continue to do so with a completely new and different sort of interaction with non-Aboriginal Indigenous people. And then when you listen to their stories and their ways of being, I think it's fascinating the depth of spirit and the wisdom of how they've connected and looked after themselves for a very long time. Mm. And I think we've got a lot to learn about bringing that into today's practice in our very busy world. Mm. Mm. I like that. Mm. I like that. Mm. We, um, I had uh, Dr. Richard Wally on the show oh, fabulous. before, and he said something very similar about you know, when the original people at land, well, the real explorers landed that you know they were greeted with a culture which had no need for governments, no need for jails, no need for prisons, no yeah. need for police, no need for any of the stuff yeah. that we yeah. have bought yeah. along. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I, I've and, and I've been in the room with people, you know, uh, groups of elders and and all sorts of indigenous people at different levels. And it never ceases to amaze me, the humour and the generosity and the love that they extend. I was doing a programme with um, some Indigenous people and it was only at the end of day two that I realised I wasn't Indigenous. And I know that sounds really strange, but it literally at the end of day two I was like, oh my God, I'm white. Mm. Like I hadn't even, actually hadn't even thought of that. How, how did that come about? I think it was because of the inclusion yes. that was offered to me. I also did acknowledgement to country... Um, whilst I was in the room and I got really nervous about it because I'm used to doing acknowledgement because um, it's important to me but I at that time had never done an acknowledgement to a group of Aboriginal people mm. exclusively and I stumbled myself around you know I was stuttering and, and then I stopped and I just went okay well I'm I'm kind of fucking this up and I know I am so I'm going to stop and I'm going to ask you, can you feel what I mean? <laughs> and literally, they, there was tears, there was smiles, there was this outpouring of love towards me. To, they were just like, we're just so glad you even, you just mean it. That's, that's the most important. Yeah. Not even had a crack, that you mean it. Yes. That you actually, you can see that you mean it. And that's what an acknowledgement is. And I was like, oh my God. And I learned so much, so much in that moment. You know, they, they, they were so beautiful. Mm. And they sensed it in their heart. Oh, because I was struggling because I meant it and I didn't know how to get the words out. I could feel it, but I couldn't say it. Mm. I've learned a lot more around the language now of what I need to say, but or what I feel like I want to say. But then, you know, I could only feel it. I hadn't yet articulated it. And yeah, it was, it was just some beautiful moments. So WA is unique. It's beautiful, it's self-sufficient, um, and it, it has, it's got a depth that we, I, I don't think we appreciate enough. Mm. Mm. It's my I home agree. now. Yeah. 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 So as I said in the um, <coughs> introduction, you were raised as a foster child mm. and had a period of time as a teenager being homeless. Yeah. How has that shaped you as a person now? Mm. Well, I have got a very complicated childhood story. Um, so I'll keep it as simple as I can because there's a lot of bits that weave in and out of it. But in particular, foster care actually shows me and helps me to consider uh, the kindness of strangers mm. and to be held by people who don't have to, you know. 
as well as the complicating factors of being like a very troubled child when I was with them. I was about eight. I would sleepwalk. I, I, I was apparently told by the foster mum that I'd be trying to climb out top top floor windows, things like that, in my sleep. I didn't. I don't remember that. Um, and I had actually had a nervous breakdown when I was with them, so I couldn't walk or talk. Um, so I, they they had a lot to deal with, um, just because I was very stressed in all the situational things that were happening in my life. So I think there's the kindness of strangers. I think there's knowing that. You know, there are people doing some incredible things. So it's given me lessons also. There's a moment, there's a story actually that's come to my mind um, about a time when it was Christmas time and my mum had left me presents under the tree in their house for Christmas, but she hadn't wrapped them and there was a card and she hadn't written in it. It was still in its like plastic wrapping. And my foster mum actually um, left them all underneath the tree as they were presented to her and in book clubs when people read about this, this is a good book club moment like, <coughs> would you have as the foster mum wrapped them and pretended that they had been wrapped and, and, and written in the card or would you have left them as they were and I actually really appreciate that she left them as they were mm. because it was a lesson in honesty yes. it was a lesson in not hiding and a lesson in helping someone through even though they were very young um, truly sort of seeing the situation for what it is so whilst it was a shit situation it was it was beautifully handled and I actually really admire it mm. how so you describe that really quite beautifully um, can you give me an insight into the journey of going from taking something that's shit into something that's almost part of your and what makes you great because yeah. I'm sure you didn't see it like that at the time I was eight yeah so well, I cried yes <laughs> um, well it's a big jump a lot of things happen mm. I've had to I've always had to be a survivor and so, there's one thing I, well there's, well there's probably more than one thing I know, but I do know this, um, I wouldn't change anything, hmm. anything in my life ever, nothing, change nothing, um, because everything that occurs is there for you to experience, to provide positive tension, to learn, um, It's all just a game anyway, really, life. You know? <laughs> it's a game. And I've likened it to a great big game yes. of hide and seek. <laughs> Yay! Role play and hide and Yay. seek. Yay. Yep. I agree. And also, I was watching this thing the other night, and it did this zoom into our the particles in our body, and, mm. um, and it's like, if you go down to the most molecular part of yourself, the particles within you that you cannot see it's all just lots of little bits of energy like shooting around like shooting mm. stars and nothing in you is actually still nothing mm. in you is solid and we share it all you know and so if I think about that I'm like we're just this floating mass of change mm. and all we do is construct meaning on top of that mm. and so I think from there to here um, I've been resourceful. And you've learned the yeah. resources within you. Yeah. Yep. And I still don't know what I'm doing. But I don't know who does. Hmm. Um, and then I'll die. So we might as well go for it. <laughs> Absolutely. Mm. I like that. Um, I read before that the universe is inherently meaningless. Mm. It's we that give it meaning you do give it in the meaning. way we interpret it yeah yeah I like that so is it those experiences that have fueled your focus on straight talk yeah um, 
So Say What You Mean mm. is the book that's coming, by the way. Mm. So don't want to pretend that it's written because it's not. Oh, right. Yeah. Um, got the table of contents. Have you, got, have you got to have a straight talk with yourself about getting it done? <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> it's due next year, so <laughs> it's all good. I'm on, yeah. I'm on, I'm on track. Um, so I walked into a room of peers and basically this lady said to me, um, what's your big word in life? What's your big word? You know, what's your life about? And I went, relatability. And she kind of paused and looked at me and said, hmm, how do you feel about that? And there was this, this pause where I just felt a little bit average, a bit bland. And she said, I think big words are supposed to you know, liven you up and shoot like electricity through your body and enable you to feel like you're just so alive that you can't possibly sit still. And I sort of looked at her and thought, hmm, I didn't really feel that when, when I said it. And so she said, well, I've got a question for you then. What's the opposite of relatability? And it sort of, I literally, it took me aback. And I felt this feeling, like, come up from the pit of my stomach. And it was really, like, turbulent. But my mind couldn't keep up. And so I said, I don't know. I think I just... I think I just need to just have a little break quickly and you know so I went to the toilet in the hotel that we were in and I was you know in that moment where you're just in that subconscious break and I thought oh my god the opposite of relatability is misunderstood and I came out into the foyer and I said to her I've got my word and she said okay and she was very calm you know a very mm. graceful lady and she said tell me what it is and I said, misunderstood. And she started crying. She did? She did. And she said, I felt that word from you. And she said, and nobody wants to feel misunderstood. She said, where, where do you know that comes from? And it got me emotional at the time. I know this story, but it was just realizing that that was what could drive this, being this being straight talk and say what you mean. And I said, because my mum was a compulsive liar and I had to, I, I learned diplomacy at a very young age because I didn't want to show her up for lying, but I didn't want to be a liar. So I became very diplomatic and able to define line between truth and lies and um, but hated being misunderstood. I'm so good at taking it on the chin. If I've done something wrong, I'm happy to be criticised um, most of the time. <laughs> I say that, but you know, I might get a bit hot-headed quickly, but... Um, but I hate being accused of anything I haven't done and I don't like being misunderstood and it comes down to the fact that I had to deal with that a lot as a child and so um, I realised that say what you mean and the work that I do about relationships between people is actually born from not wanting to feel misunderstood or wanting anyone else to feel misunderstood mm. so it's, I guess it's, it's taking that of a dark period mm. and turning it into something light yeah. which then it then becomes your gift yes yeah I take everything everything that's given to me I don't think anything's wrong I don't think anything's broken mm. yeah it is what it is and it's what we place meaning on and it's how we deal with it yeah so what is straight talk tell me mm. or tell a listener that doesn't still not quite get in it well, Straight Talk is simply my blog. So that's the name yeah. of my blog. Um, but the essence of it is being able to have compassionate, direct conversations that stop you from wasting your time in life. Mm. So you, you put the word compassionate in there. Yeah. So what does that mean to have a compassionate... It's to honour the other person mm. as well as yourself. Because I think a lot of people like brutal honesty, mm. which is not kind. And that's just facts coming out fast <laughs> or directly. Um, so to me, um, saying what you mean needs to encompass like the entire context environment, the human. So the truth can be told beautifully, even though it's hard. Mm. Um, and it's how you respond to reactions and allow and enable each other 
whoever there's working relationships family members whoever whoever the humans are to have their experience and for you to have your experience and to always have positive intention behind what is said and why it's said um it's that's a skill set mm. there's a skill set but it's also um who you are so who you are being to be able to do that and i think you have to know yourself mm. to be able to and, and let's face it the first person to start with say what you mean is to yourself I was going to bring this up. Yeah, yeah. so that's always the starting point. I was walking around Hyde Park in Perth um, a few weeks ago and I do like chants to myself, you know, to say whatever it is that I'm working on at the time. And this particular one I was saying, I'm stronger and more vibrant every day. Stronger and more vibrant every day. I was walking and walking and walking and I was saying it and I was active and I was looking around and it's beautiful. And then there was a second voice just up the top of my head and it, if I could put a colour on it, it would be grey. And it was like a second script that was running. So I was saying these words out loud. Mm. And then the second script of words was, but love is hurtful. And I stopped like smack bang in the middle of the park and went, oh my God, there's another voice. What does that mean? Like, literally, could hear myself talking to myself. And I'm glad no one was behind me because I probably would have clonked straight into them. But it shocked me to realise that I was saying these things to myself. And I think that's the stuff we need to learn. What are we saying? Are we, what, what's the truth of what we're saying to ourselves? Where's it coming from? What do we mean? Um, and I hadn't had that experience for a long time. What do you think that voice, that message meant, that love is hurtful? Yeah, well, oh, that's, this is our big conversation <laughs> that I've warned you about. Um, so existential crisis, yeah, that's happened to me in the last year. Um, and I started, I actually realised through a series of events that um, I haven't really been open to full, true love. I've been protecting myself for a very long time. Very controlling, in a, not in a, I'm a control freak, even though I can be a bit of that, but I mean, I didn't even realise I was I had a barrier up for even receiving and giving love without absolute pure joy and ecstasy and you know connection it's always on some kind of term that I could control hmm. so I'd had an experience because that was shielding you from well shielding me from um, pain more loss um, and also sort of you know, I've, there's been a lot of trauma in my life so it, it, it's a neuro association hmm to helping me to be protected um, but it was buried so deep yes. that I was able to look like I could love which I can I mean I'm not I am lo I'm such a loving person is it that sort of more uh, cognitive feel of love than yeah. the actual and I'm loving this, yeah, and I love everybody feeling it in your it's absolute actually being yeah and it's actually about receiving it mm. so you know um, not actually being so fully raw and open that I could be taken on a any kind of journey or that might risk where I, I, I don't steer the ship in the most subtle little ways not mm -hmm. in a manipulative way didn't even know that I would felt like that mm -hmm. so I'd open myself up to a person and it was very fleeting and it, I felt like actually a true, actual, spiritual, deep, emotional love which shocked the hell out of me mm. and and it all went a bit pear-shaped really quickly. I don't care. I was like, oh my God. I felt this. I felt love. Like I was like, wow. And then I went through this entire thing of going, okay, so I didn't know that I was doing that and so what do I believe about love? what's actually happening here so doing some self-talk so I think it's important for us to recognize what we're saying to ourselves so that we have the opportunity to to be real with one another mm. in whatever the appropriate circumstances of that realness is mm. 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 <laughs> so um, how do you approach self-talk in like a business yeah. setting yeah 
taser. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> people say, how do you do it? Taser. Get it out yeah, electrocute people. Um, what exactly do you want to know? Because there's a, many different ways in which I can answer that question. So can you narrow the question? Um, so for, I guess, for somebody who puts it out there that they bring... Um, this straight talk and, and obviously there would be and I'm going to I've got my organisational hat on here yeah. there, there are benefits towards that sort of efficiency time frame da, 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 da. Um, how would you go about actually engaging with because it, it strikes me that by its very nature and you know if you take what you just said about um, you didn't realise that you fully appreciated love until this almost like this mystery door opened and then in, in it flooded and, um, and I'm sure we've all had experiences like that where we're trucking along and we think things are great and then all of a sudden from left field bang it's your time to have your door opened and it's like whoa and it can be rough and raw and exposing and great but to me they're the gold moments of the human experience um, how does an organisation get to a point of, of, of recognition that, that that's what they need at mm. that point. Do you see where I'm going? I do. Because you, you've got, I think we can all relate on one level to it on, on an individual level, but then, you know, you obviously put yourself out there as a, as a business change person, etc. You know, with this in, in, in amongst it, how do you actually engage an organisation take them from that point of being unaware to aware and then realising, oh shit, we've got a problem, we need to do yeah. this. And yeah. so open the door for mm. them a bit. Mm. Does that help? Yeah, Absolutely. that's beautiful. Um, so firstly, I don't think of them as an organisation. Mm -hmm. um, I think of them as a group of people, humans, individual humans. Um, I tend to work with senior leaders, so... Uh, I don't do organisational change. So right. for me, it's about... My programme is about peership. So it's about how people treat each other in the team that they're in. Um, and generally, I get into conversations with CEOs and GMs who know that they're struggling to cohese. Mm. So they usually come to me with what's happening and that's often uh, mistrust or uh, people are sort of colliding or even missing, missing each other each or other, missing yeah. each other or sometimes like it's it's not a massive problem but there's about to be a merger or there's about to be a takeover or there's a really big new project and everyone needs to be on their A game mm. and because We're that change is happening yeah so there's like either there's a dysfunctional team or there's a new team that needs to form and if we, don't, if we don't turn a blind eye early then we might be a little bit fucked in the future. Yeah. So basically those are the two scenarios. And essentially um, I don't beat around the bush as you can imagine. I go deep very quickly in my conversations with people and anyone who can't cope with that well then I am not the right person. Mm. It is the quickest way to change and I do it with love, literally. <laughs> I'm genuinely yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually do it with love. And um, a lot of rapport and a lot of trust and a lot of respect. And it's not leadership training, you know, it's human training. Mm. And that's what's coming out. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah. It took me ages to realise that. Yes. Like I was like, oh yeah, I'm in leadership, blah 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 blah, leadership, blah 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 blah. No. And I'm like, no, I'm not. No. I work with leaders, but I'm a relationship person. Hmm. I'm a human relationship person. It took me ages to work that out. And then when I did work that out, though, quite flow was beautiful. Yes. <laughs> yeah, my work went. Shoom, yeah. That was fabulous. I'm focused. Yeah, yeah, and and people go, it's very niche, and it's very easy for them to understand what I do. Yes. You know, they don't have to go, what, what do you do training or do you, do, you know what? Mm. And it's very clear. And so um, I have a really specific process that I go through with, with organisational teams at the senior level. But essentially, um, someone asked me, you know, what's the essence of what you do? And I said, I call people to a higher moral ground. Mm. 
Mm. And then we talk about it with each other. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Because I don't want anyone to look back upon their life and get to the age of which they're about to pass into another world or die or whatever you want to hear, whatever you believe, and look back and go, (laughs) well... I wasn't who I was supposed to be. Yeah. Which, Shit, I missed that. I missed it. Because a lot of people go, what I wanted to do. And I'm like, yeah, but what you want to do comes out of who you are. And so surely we must work at the who. You don't just get a cake. The ingredients have to go into the cake. So what are the ingredients? Like the who, the who becomes mm. the what. And quite often, you know, people like, we've got to be strategic. And you know, I love strategy. I love business. I love commercial acumen. But you can't pick a strategy up. You can't. I can't hand you the strategy to go. Like it's not a relay. I can't. Yeah. I can't pass it on to you. you it's an idea. Oh. It's a thought. It's an idea. So, for people, if they really, because the ultimate thing that I, I I love and I work on is progress. Like progress and evolution is 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 happiness. Human mm. needs, as you know, the fundamental things are around contribution and growth. And so. If we're making up stories in our heads about one another with positive intention, because we, you know that's what we do, um, and we're having weird relationships, both at home and at work, um, and we're not fully, uh, I call it being clean in our neurology, yes. then we're wasting time. And it is as simple as it that. It is as simple as that. It, it, it is as simple as that. Yeah. I'm doing more and more and more of these podcasts and some other stuff I'm up to. I find in everyday life, you know, we're either talking about of, having a conversation of substance or we're just pissing about. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that's pretty blunt. Yeah. And it can be quite confronting yeah. to those around. Yeah. And as you've got to take care of people in that process as well, you know. Yeah. I do. It's yes. Like in my work, yeah. Yeah, in your work. Yeah. Um, Not on the street, no, I just shout at people in the street. No, I'm joking. Well, well you can choose. <laughs> But then you can be choo- choose to be in that you know, outside of it. You can choose to be in that conversation or not be in that mm. conversation mm. and respectfully withdraw. Mm. So what is it that? I mean, this is almost like you know, one of the key essences or key skills of being a human being. Um, so why don't we? All, why don't we all have it? We do. So, okay. So if we do, why why are you in a job? <laughs> <laughs> Um, it's like I was on the plane with a guy um, sitting next to me not with him he was just next to me and I was drawing I love art and um, he said oh I'm not creative I said yes you are and he said well I was I was actually I was creative and I said yeah you you always have been it's just you've forgotten Um, think about kids and how they just say what they see you know that we we teach them social filters mm. um so i think our natural predisposition is actually to come to our senses so being that we're taking information through our senses and we can be factual about things and then we learn social norms and social filters and what's appropriate through different cultures mm. you know you might see europeans or africans or different people in different cultures act in different ways and so it's just about how we fit into the group. Um, so I genuinely actually think we've all got it. We just uh, cover it up and forget. Yes. And, and then it is a skill set as well. So, you know, it's, you can be blunt or you can be compassionate. You know, so there, there's, there's ways of learning language. Yes. There's ways of learning who you need to be to be able to cope with yourself and other people. So I'm not being facetious, but... Um, but we all have it. We just have to remember and then practice it. Hmm. I think often we do have these moments of like, I'm just going to speak the truth and it comes out quite ugh, forcefully. Yeah. yeah. And it bruises everyone around. Yes. And, um, and yeah, I did a little thought piece about this recently. Stuff comes out. It's quite blunt because everyone's used to like, oh, I won't, I won't upset you. I won't upset the people around me. But then it gets like, oh, I've got to say something. So you do. And then everyone gets bruised. You feel really bad about it. 
then you rush in to try and placate everybody and then you shortcut everyone's capacity to develop their own strategies for dealing with hard stuff. <laughs> yeah. So it's just you start off with a good intent and then just fuck everything up. <laughs> for yourself, for everybody else. <laughs> yeah. you know, and it's easy with a loved one where you say something and then you can see that they're like, oh, I didn't, you know, that, that hurt. Yeah. It's coming from someone really close. And they say, no, but it's all right, love. Mm. You know, mm. It's okay, or with the children. And then you shortcut the capacity for them to go, oh, I've got to deal with some yeah. tough feedback. Otherwise, the relationship's not going to go forwards and yes. stuff like that. Yes. So, yeah, it is a skill. Definitely. Yeah. So, um, we've done a lot of what. How does somebody start to bring this out of themselves? Mm. Well, I think firstly... Um, You've got to see the value in it, you know. Like everything's got to be worth your time. Mm. So, what, is there anything showing up around you that indicates um, that you might be hiding from yourself or from other people in a workplace, in particular? Mm. You know, are you procrastinating on having a conversation in your family life? Um, is there anything that is playing out that you're not really happy about? Mm. And if that's the case, it's about catching those feelings and those emotions and then digging a bit deeper into what's driving that. Do you think I, deep down, we all know the areas where we're not saying how we feel, being straight? Well, yes and no. See, so, a few weeks ago, I would have said yes, and then, of course, I had my second script moment, which completely caught me off guard. Mm. And so I don't even know if deep down I was aware. Yes. So I don't know the answer to that question at the yeah. moment because I'm still I'm in transition of my knowledge a little bit. Yeah. But what I can say is that we have access to it. Mm. So I, people always say, you know, how do you change something? I was like, well, look at what the facts are. It's in what's occurring around you. What are your moods? Um, what are you producing? How is your body? Um, what are your relationships like? How is your work? So look at what your output is. Yes. Because your output is going to be indicative of what your input is. And then when you look at your input, input being how do I think? How do I move? What do I believe? Uh, how do I interact hmm. individually, introspectively, and you know, outside of myself? And then you'll get some, if there's gaps, awesome. Because then you go, okay, so there's a gap or there's something that's not working. And it's about like digging down to the root cause um, and looking at our neuro associations about what it is that we are plugging into ourselves. Because um, you know, our fundamental drive is to be away from pain and towards pleasure. And so quite often though, there's that secondary gain there we do something that's not cool and it, you know, like eating too much, it's my favorite example. And we know we shouldn't be doing it, yet it's sending blood to our stomach and it makes us feel like we're not in fight or flight. And so it's a security or a safety, different for everybody, but fundamentally probably around that. So why do we do it? Because the pleasure of that is security. So the pleasure will override the pain until it, the pain comes too much. We might be getting a heart attack or we might not be able to move as well or whatever, you know, just make all that stuff up, whatever it is for that person. And so there's this dance we're all doing with everything, even with our emotions, our language, our feelings. Um, everything that we do is either driving us from pain or towards pleasure. And it's about tapping into what web have we weaved mm. in our patterns of thinking and patterns of belief systems that have gotten us to this point and what needs to change so that we can circumvent because we're just a pattern making machine yes so it's about how do we interrupt that and why what's compelling enough to interrupt it those patterns of what I when I said earlier on we were talking about you know life's one big game and I refer to it as hide and seek they're the, they're, that's the hiding the yeah. hiding and seeking from ourselves those patterns aren't they? yeah mm. Mm. yeah I 
not so long ago, I was introduced to the concept of if there's something, some area of your life that you're not happy with, ask yourself, what is it I believe about myself to, to allow this situation to be as it is? Yes. That's a pretty interesting indicator. Oh, okay, I'm going to talk about this. Go on. I'm going to go straight there, deep. I'm going to reveal myself fully. Are you ready? Do it. Okay, I'm ready. That's why it's called WA Real. Okay, good. I know, but I just want to make sure everyone else is ready <laughs> because I'm going to go there. I'll probably, to be quite frank, nobody else cares. It's more about my vulnerability that I'm a bit nervous about. But um, so in that sense, uh, so I had been with my husband for 21 years and we split last year. I left. Um, he is very happy and it was the best thing that happened for both of us so that's good we're friends you know, just want to in case he listens <laughs> we're good um but what i realized in my you know i haven't been really fully letting love in in that moment i was like but like attracts like you know in my new relationships or my new experiences and all those things and i've been you know having great time with different people and and I kind of realized, oh, I want something more. I'm ready for that depth, that pure joy, that pure love, that big love, that real, you know, let's do life together person. And I don't know if you get, I think you've got lots of ones, but you know, I'm, I'm sort of good with a one again, someone. And then I had to take a look at that and go, so who are you being to attract what you need? Hmm. Like who do you need to be? And I don't think we as humans take enough stock around I want to say responsibility Mm. but also know that there's more than just you in life so if we take full responsibility we set ourselves up for fail because there's universal ecological spiritual input it's not all all up to us in my belief but we have a fair chunk of control over you know how we regenerate ourselves constantly our bodies are completely regenerated every year physically and we're constantly connected to a collective consciousness Mm -hmm. and so who are we being to get the thing that that we need to interact with and it was a moment where i was like oh my god i have to i have to take responsibility for what comes at me yes or not absolutely absolutely because you are either putting up shields to stop the things that you want coming towards you mm. and they will be within your belief patterns mm. or the things that are hanging around mm. you are believing that they should hang around yeah. that you want to yeah. piss off yeah. and that is extraordinarily empowering when yes. you come to that realisation yeah. and then you can start to yeah. take 100% responsibility yeah. for who you are and what yeah. you choose yeah. and how you respond. Yeah. yeah. And it comes back to what you put out, you receive. That's right. You know, it's, it's back to that very simple analogy of looking in the mirror and expecting the reflection to smile first before you're going to smile. <laughs> oh, that's good. Yeah, I've because it's just, not, it's just not going to happen, is it? You've got to smile first and then you'll <laughs> see it. Because yeah, if we touched on it before this you know you go back to um, you start drawing parallels through some of the other podcasts that I've done you go to Professor Igor Bray and you look at quantum physics well yeah the molecules which you referred to earlier on that we're all made of they collapse when we look at them before that they're just a sea of potential isn't it incredible hmm. whenever I think like this all I feel is abundant possibility but what can happen is we can overwhelm ourselves so I've been here too and I see other people do it but we don't keep it simple enough so like my mentor loves them I've got many mentors but one particular Matt Church says hold on tight with an open palm yes because it can become so overwhelming because if we and Alain de Botin gentler uh, kinder version of success TED talk he says you know we used to worship the stars the stars would guide us and then religion, so you know, God or whoever the person that we worshipped or the spirit that we mm. worship will guide us. And then as we got more mature or evolved in our our brain structures, we started to realise that we were actually in control to a certain degree. Uh, he is an atheist, so forgive me if there's other beliefs out there. Mm. And from that perspective, it was the, we're the first series of humans that have worshipped ourselves. 
And so we actually take a fair chunk of responsibility for ourselves. But the problem with that is that we take responsibility for our success, but also our failure. And so sometimes, though, we succeed and fail due to circumstances, environmental factors that are outside of ourselves. Like we're not absolute, there, there, there is universal things that happen beyond our conscious awareness. Hmm. And so... Our conscious awareness. Our conscious awareness. And I wonder even, if, even our subconscious awareness. I don't, I don't know the answer to that. We can ponder on that afterwards. <laughs> That'll be round two conversation. Yes. Um, but my point is, is that it can become overwhelming or feel too big and then procrastination sets in because people don't know where to start. And my, mm. my thinking is, just remember, the only thing we have is this present moment. Mm. Everything else is a construct. We find ourselves reminiscing or dreaming. All of those things are important. But how much time are we spending in the moment? Because the quality of our present moment determines the quality of our future. And keep it simple. Hmm. Hmm. That's my advice to myself, anyway. <laughs> because, yeah, I think I, I like what you were saying about hold on tight to what you want with an open palm. Mm. Yeah. 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 Matt Church says that. I think. Um, I think once we truly start to understand what's important to us then we can actually feel what our bigger conscious goals actually are yeah and we can remind ourselves of that but yeah. not get attached to the journey yes yes and by um this thing i was introduced the concept i introduced it was introduced to it was follow your highest enthusiasm to the best of your abilities with no expectation of the outcome yeah, yeah. and your highest enthusiasm and you know what it feels like that becomes your compass point yeah and that will lead you yeah. to scary places, but yeah, and great places. And great places. Oh, the polarity of life. Um, I heard Deepak Chopra say this morning, not himself, well, it was him saying it, but I wasn't there with him. He was on the podcast. But um, he said, the trick is to be certain and have expectations without attachment to the outcome. So that's good. The trick is to be certain about something, but have and have expectations, but without the attachment to the outcome. Correct. So, directing your conscious and subconscious awareness to an outcome, your reticular activate, activating system will do the work. It does all the filtering and, and searching for you. Programming yourself. Up yeah, you're just programming. Yep. And sometimes things don't manifest because there's other things at play that you can or cannot see. Mm. And so put yourself in the direction and understand that mm. attachment can often... Because quite often we, we're actually... Say we're going... I'll try an analogy. I'm not usually good at them on the fly, but let's try it. Going down the road, going to the freeway, you turn off and then suddenly there's roadworks and then you have to go on a, a diverted route. But on the diverted route, there might be something that you'd never thought of. The other, oh, oh, I've got an even better one. Okay, so I, my flight got cancelled a couple of weeks ago. And um, I woke up and to a text saying, your flight's been cancelled. And my first initial reaction was, ah, I'm going on an adventure. Because mm. if something significant changes, I'm like, awesome. Something's going to happen. That Something's was going not going to happen before. And so I'm being diverted. And I got on the plane I was drawing and I got on the second plane and lo and behold I met this amazing guy went out on a date it was fabulous won't go into the details beautiful like I would never have, I wouldn't have been on that plane and it was just an amazing experience and so the thing is is that sometimes if we're shitty about the diversion we're not open mm. and so I think we set our sights and we go and we go and the trick is that. Yeah, and we hold on to it, and then we get diverted, and we miss the, the reason for the diversion. Mm. Because we're attached to the outcome. I just wanted to get to Sydney. It took me bloody 10 hours to get to Sydney, but oh, it was I worth it. Do, yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. A, lot of, a lot of our modern day stress is because the world is not mapping out exactly yes. the way we yeah. want it to. Yeah. As opposed to yeah. exactly what we discussed. And that's why I'm always a bit sketchy or edgy around 100% responsibility I think the response the 100% responsibility is to be in the moment 
rather than to yes. be so determined for the outcome. Yes. I think. I say that, I think, because my, in 20 minutes I could learn something new and it changes, but that's mm. what I believe. Because I'm becoming more and more around you are responsible. Yeah. I went there and then I, I came back a bit. Because we are. And I think there might be a little bit more to it than that. Hmm. But I don't know yet. Depends on how connected we are to all the other stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. So... Hypothetically, what do you think, how do you think WA as a state would be if we all notched on our real talk by, let's say, 5 or 10% arbitrarily? Mm. I think there would be more joy is the word that's coming for me. Like joy is amazing, isn't it? You know, like mm. to feel completely enamoured by something or in awe of something or curious. It always leads to progress for me. Like, so if we have more joy, then we might have more curiosity and then we might have more capacity, which leads us to evolution. Mm. So we become a more evolved state. Yeah, and so then we might be more open or more consider considering or in a place where we, we're not on the hamster wheel as much which would be nicer like frankly wouldn't mm. it be just lovely mm. to just be not be holding anything do you think we'd be more productive yes definitely what's well, progress isn't it Get shit productivity done. yeah totally and do you think you might diversify what, what goes yeah. on in the state as yeah. well beyond just Digging up shit yeah. out of the ground and yeah. it. Oh, yeah, but we don't just do that already. There's no, a no. lot of stuff. <laughs> I'm being provocative. I know, and I'm going to slap you. <laughs> <laughs> I'll stick up for our state. <laughs> no, I, I'm, I, I'm joking because yeah. you're doing this for our state. It's fabulous. Yeah, and, and yeah, <laughs> and, it, and it is a. I think it's a valid question because, you know, I like you. This is my home. I'm very passionate about it. I like you. Wasn't born here, but chose to move here. And have now made it its home, made it my home. And because I feel attached to it and the land and the people, it's always, and, and within my nature of how can we do stuff better? How can we be not just you know, efficient and productive, but how can we be better and better versions of ourselves? You know, and as a collective, as a state. So, what are some of the things that you know, would make the state a better place? Mm. Not just economically, but for the point of economics, I think economics would improve as a byproduct. Of Absolutely. And coming back to indigenous as well, I'm mm. working on a program called um, cultural cultural curiosity, and that's again about respecting and understanding difference between cultures with an indigenous frame, but not limited to indigenous, and how when we accept and relate and engage with one another we've got more time to do more things yes I don't know how to make it more simple than that hmm and prejudice and restrictive and protective views um, come from an individual's need to control and protect which I fully understand and I'd like to help break that down so that people can have more joyful lives because I do believe that I keep saying joy I'm just going to go with it but you say it all the time but yeah um, but I think like if if the moment really is the moment then surely only joy can be in the moment if you look at what's around you and if we look around us right now in this moment without pr projecting what we're about to say or thinking about what has been yes like looking at the colours in the room and the smelling the smell and you know feeling the feeling of the energy exchange you know like there's nothing here that's wrong or bad or broken hmm. and no matter what is here or who is here and I know there's crappy circumstances where someone might get into a scary situation or you know could, someone might walk in the room and start shouting at us or something and that would change the moment would not be joyful I get hmm. that 
Um, well, finding the joy would be more challenging. Yes. Well, it does depend on your frame. I suppose mm. you might like shouting people. I'm not opposed to it, I suppose, but we would have that protective flight or fight or freeze response, so that would change the chemistry. But So I think when we get when we get to that space, yeah, I think economically, spiritually, emotionally, physically. Hmm. What does, um, it was like to ask a contribution from time to time, what does life look like if, if people like yourself um, don't promote this sort of stuff? Hmm. Well, that's already exists in countries that are war-torn, um, where people have to flee for their life. Hmm. Um, all very lovely sitting here in this beautiful room mm. there are plenty of other places um, that don't have the luxury of being able to be I suppose wistful in joy and I say that only because if people are having to fight for their life to, to live to live not mm. being covered up in rubble or being shot or you know all those sorts of things then there's, there's a pecking order of things. Um, my friend was um, caught up in the, um, the earthquake in Nepal and she was with this guide and, and they were trapped between mountains and his family were on the other side and didn't know whether they were alive. And she came out in that moment into the courtyard and he was on the ground planting flowers mm. or seeds, sorry. And she said, why are you doing that now? And he said, well, the flowers and the plants still need to grow and there's nothing else I can do right now. <laughs> and she said in that moment, like, holy moly. So even in those scenarios, I think mm. there's potential to be in the moment. But on the contrary view... There's there's so many there's a, there's barriers in many places that that stop us from progressing, and it might be a bigger question than I know how to answer. Hmm. How has um, dealt creating the opportunity through your work and what you do to be able to explore this further and further, which is great. Um, how has this changed your sense of identity about yourself? Oh my god. Am I even here? Who am I? <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a bit more tangible than that. <laughs> oh no, you're shaping my answers, I see. Uh, <laughs> do you hear that, listeners? Um, I'm playing. Uh, mm, okay, uh, I'll do this in a descriptive way, but I'm going to do it physically as well but so um, so I've learned that often there is m me so I'm absolutely 100% who I am with no barrier no idolized version and then sometimes there's one that's like a, there's like a, another version of me like a shadow version of me or a second version of me that's right in front of me and so there's me and then there's another casing Yes. That's a little bit further out. And then sometimes there's one that's really far in front of me. And that's my big protective barrier. Right. That one is gone. So now there's a couple of versions of me. There's the, the who I am in my most vulnerable state. And also one that sits just in front of me that has a slight alertness on it for just checking in an idolized version. Mm. Protective version. Um, so this has removed my very far away identity mask because um, I didn't realise that was there but that's gone it's a good thing yeah mm. yeah. Um, but it's also like so I had this incredible experience when uh, my husband and I separated I thought I would because I was with him for 21 years so from 17 to 38 and I thought that I would be with him till I died. Like I would love him in that way until I died. Until he died as well. 
And then when that changed and then we separated, I thought if there's one thing in the world that's true, that's true. And then when that wasn't true in that form anymore, it made me think, well, then what else is not true? Mm. And so my identity has through the trauma of my childhood, through the safety of a marriage, to breaking through that and becoming, you know, highly alone. I have no family, no blood relatives, um, no him, no his family. Like I'm absolutely 100% completely connected to the universe, got beautiful friends, etc., etc. But yes. in the deepest sense of, you know, as we all are, by the way, I'm not a figure on yet. Um, so my identity shifts constantly. That is what you've learned about your sense of identity. Yeah, as does all of ours. Um, but I tend to do it on steroids. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Because you, yeah, because you've made it the focus of what yeah. you do to make it a, something that you reflect on, do, and complete the learning circle on on a daily, hourly yeah. basis. Yeah, so that I can help others and also because I'm a bit of a, an efficiency queen I like, I like to get things done and I like to move on and I like to be effective and involve and progress hmm. and there's some things I've learned you can't control the pace of <laughs> which frustrates me <laughs> yeah, like greatly other, other people's development like my own actually yeah other people's they can take their own responsibility Indeed. it's actually oh I've got to go through this lesson for a bit longer hmm. but I'm a cognitive I've not quite got yeah. it yet yeah I, I can say it but like you said earlier you cognitively get it until you feel it until yeah. you're being it yes you know? and sometimes I'm like yeah yeah get it come on just be it now yeah. mm. so what does the next three to five years look like for who Suzanne? knows who cares oh rough idea have a stab at the answer <laughs> <laughs> I'm like oh I'm bored now <laughs> oh, okay 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 uh, I don't like you get to act like that when projecting. I come on your podcast <laughs> <laughs> And once again, you're shaping it. Um, I'm just directing. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, I, I'm only being slightly facetious. There's part of me that goes, like, you know, so I am a, a future-focused person, but, you know, as I, as I come along in life, I think to myself, you know, I don't care about three to five years um, because so much is going to change. Mm. Um, but there's one thing that is a theme throughout my entire being, and that is, I think, why I'm on this earth is to... to really help people look at who they are and be the absolute um, true self that allows them to evolve and progress and that our, our, our genes are as clean as possible so that when we procreate or we exchange, it doesn't always have to be about giving, giving birth, but when we exchange energy and connection with one another, that we're giving it the best shot we possibly can. Mm. And so how that looks for me, yep, I write books, yep, I've travelled the world with clients yep I'll curate for TEDx Perth and do documentaries and have relationships and see the sites and all of that changes so yeah I'll do that until I don't do that anymore hmm. but fundamentally it will be about how do, how do I contribute and interact with people in a way that's meaningful till I die hmm. Are there things you do on a daily basis to keep you focused? Same. Same and on the track. And yes. Things that help you, yeah, stay focused and be yes. the best you. Uh, so between 7 and 9am every morning um, is completely blocked out in my calendar so no one can put anything in it other than me and I don't try not to break my own rules. Um, uh, a walk in the morning and I also listen to a podcast um, many different types of ones and then I often do the homework associated to the podcast in that time um, and I spend time thinking about what I'm grateful for um, and what my intentions are for the day and who I intend to be and I always get a coffee from the, the pretty much the same place I travel a lot so and that can get interrupted a little bit sometimes. Hmm. But when I'm in Perth particularly, that is a routine. Um, and then I also make sure that 40% of my week, and I know that's not a daily basis, but 
40% of my week is unallocated from the time that I wake up to the time I go to sleep seven days. I don't see weekdays and weekends. That's not the way my mind works. Mm. Like every day is valid and I do what I want when I want. Um, but 40% of that time is unallocated for painting, for drawing, for thinking, for having amazing conversations with random people on the street. Like the guy that works with me, he, he often goes, we have to, everything's on Suzanne time because when it, we're, we're in unallocated time, I end up in conversations in the sushi shop or see someone I haven't seen for ages and talk uh, end up hanging around with the Uber driver because I can't I have to ask a lot of questions before we get out of the car um, there's all sorts of things like that so there's 40% of my time is unallocated so that I can just be creative and free and percolate on my aha moments yeah because I realised I wasn't joining the dots on a lot of things yes. have a lot of aha moments all the time but I don't get time to consolidate them mm. Mm. So that's more on a weekly basis because one day, like today, for example, from I've been awake since three o'clock and I and I am not I am absolutely chockers until ten p.m. That's it, and I have not had a minute to myself. Um, so there are some days that are really full, yeah. But and then other days you get that time. So that's mm. why it's not a daily thing because it can't it doesn't always happen every day. Yeah, it can't be, mm. yeah. But it can but be. It's, it's it could just be, got to be in there during yeah, the week. Yeah, that's my choice still. Why that? Um, if there was a nugget of Suzanne's wisdom that she could just upload into the collective consciousness so everybody got it what would that be? Ooh. you know a bit like in the matrix where you just I love the matrix I know kung fu hmm? I know kung fu <laughs> yeah. I know how friggin amazing is that hmm I'm feeling the pressure for this moment and I feel like there's going to be a big silence on you. <laughs> so I just need a moment to think about it. Okay, keep it simple. There you go. Is that it? No, well, no, <laughs> but that's, well, 1.1, 1. 1, keep it simple. 1.2 is you are okay. In fact, I heard this thing on that thing I was watching the other night and, and this guy was dying and his wife leaned in and, and she said, what are you saying? And he said, just remember that every morning when you lift your head from the pillow, you already have everything you need. And it would be remiss of me as an Are You OK ambassador that today is Are You OK Day and to ask each other. Hmm. That's it. Suzanne, I've thoroughly enjoyed <laughs> our conversation today. It's, um, it's been great. It's been great. Um, I've had a few ideas floating around and strangely, I find with my podcast, yep. that some of the things that I'm thinking about, all of a sudden, they become the topic not that I wrote the questions down beforehand, but they suddenly become a topic of focus yeah. in the conversations. And today, we've, there's been tons of it. Yay. I think there's um, absolute shit tons for the for a listener to listen to and think about and cogitate on, on and then take action. If somebody wanted to find you, where can they find you? Tap into the ether. Just think of yeah, me yeah. and I'll arrive. <laughs> 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 Just um, LinkedIn or on my website, yep, yeah. SuzanneMaldron.com. Superb. Yeah. And um, the book comes out next year. Next year. Yeah. Rough sort of time. Middle of let's go middle of next year. Middle of next year. But what's a deadline anyway? It's uh, it's a way to focus. <laughs> <laughs> Come see comes up. It's a necessary thing to get shit done. I find <laughs> to uh, prevent the procrastination. But maybe that's just me. Yeah. There you go. Suzanne, thank you very much. It's my pleasure. Thanks Cheers. for listening. <laughs>